The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's been a long while, and I was sitting there trying to recall like how long ago, and I'm guesstimating about perhaps at least eight years, uh, because I took a break from ministry for about five years, and then we started in uh, 2020, and you know did uh, some podcasting and pulpit ministry and so forth. So I'm guessing the last time I've been with you has to be at least eight years, and it's eight years too long. So uh, for the time that is allotted, please, let's just bow in prayer, and then we can look to the Word of God. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your loving kindness, for your Word. We are praying that you would speak to us. Oh God, speak to us by your Spirit. Help us to apprehend the very things for which you have apprehended us for. And if perchance there might be one that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that you would speak to that one by your spirit. Reserve a blessing for us this morning, we ask in his precious name. Amen. Romans chapter 7. Very often what happens uh, whenever uh, we're studying the scriptures, we approach the word of God as... uh, objectively, not realizing that at the end of the day, application is absolutely vital. We have to take something away. We have to walk in it. And that's my intent this morning. Uh, The Apostle Paul is addressing the, the fact of the law and its purpose, the law and its purpose. Now, it's going to apply to us eventually. But very often, if you were a Jew, the law would become your basis for establishing righteousness. Now, I don't like to use a lot of terms that are in the scriptures because I have found over the years that many don't even know what the terms mean. So if I spend time defining it, you'll understand why. So often when the scriptures speaks of a man or a woman being righteous, what the Spirit of God is simply saying is that that person meets the moral requirements that God demands. They meet the moral requirements. They are living as they should. They have right standing with God. And with respect to the law, if you were a Jew, that would be the basis for you defining whether or not you are in right standing with God. Now, I'm assuming there are not many Jewish folks here, but it's not limited to the Jew. And here's why. Very often, Christians seek to define their right standing with God by some standard. They establish a standard. There are believers, well-meaning, that might go back to an Old Testament standard, and they may keep the Sabbath or 
maintain certain health guidelines. And for them, that may be the standard by which they established, I'm right with God. Christians sometimes use an arbitrary standard. I've known many. Some will say to me, well, Christian, I don't drink. I don't smoke. <laughs> I don't go to the movies. <laughs> and they don't even realize that you don't have to go to the movies. You can go to Netflix on your computer. <laughs> but I smile inwardly because what they are doing also is establishing a standard by which they can judge themselves and other people and conclude, I'm okay with God. But there's a problem with that. And so Paul now begins to address the issue. And we are going to, of necessity, have to go back to chapter 3 and chapter 6. But he says, do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So once you choose, and let me just clarify, once you choose an arbitrary standard outside of faith in Christ, you are bound to that standard. So he says, for example, the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, She's released from the law of her husband. So what the Spirit of God is beginning to say, and we will touch on it, that the only thing, the only event that releases a Christian and frees them to depend on the grace of God in their life is death. Death. The example that he's using is a woman is not free from her husband unless he dies. And he goes on to say in verse 3, So then, while her husband lives, she marries another, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she's no longer an adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Now, translation. If a person has trusted in Christ. We have learned and we will go to it in chapter 6 that you and I, the sinner who has trusted in Christ, has been included in that event at Calvary. In fact, Paul alludes to this when he says in Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, Christ lives in me. In the original language, what it says is, I have been crucified and I still am crucified. And so from the point of faith, from the Apostle Paul's direction, once I look to Calvary, once I see the Lord Jesus crucified, God in his grace and mercy included you and me and the sins of every man, woman and boy and girl to be included in that event. And when a sinner looks to Christ, that crucifixion was also yours. That was your end and mine as our connection with Adam. Now, my dear saints, these are just not facts that are told to us. It has an implication and an application. God has done a work at Calvary that sets us free 
But many of us go ahead to establish some other standard other than faith in Christ. Paul goes on to say concerning the trust in the law, and this is important. In verse 7, I'm skipping ahead for time. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. Translation. <laughs> the law was designed to awaken the consciousness that you and I and anyone who trusts in the law is a sinner. Law-keeping has no power to save. Law-keeping has no power to deliver. It cannot give you and me the wherewithal to please God. It was designed to awaken in our consciousness that I can't keep the law. That's it. That was all that God wanted, that we cannot keep the law. For the Apostle Paul, it was very specific. The law said, don't covet. <laughs> but look at what he says. Verse 8, sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. What Paul found in his life <laughs> was that not only was he a covetous man, it awakened covetousness to such a large degree that he was riddled in his life with covetousness. He saw himself. Some of us might be sitting here saying, well, I don't drink and I don't smoke, but I got news for you. Some of the most difficult Christians I've ever known, quickly, <laughs> were those that were faithful to the Lord's table, faithful to the fellowship, there every Sunday and Wednesday and Monday, and if there was an eighth day a week, they were there. But when you had to deal with them, it was like sticking your hand in a hornet's nest. <laughs> they were ornery and challenging. Why? Because for them, the Lord's table, the fellowship, became another standard by which they judged everyone else. But they were not aware of the fact that the instant a believer looks away from the crucified one and the grace of God that is available at Calvary, the instant we stop trusting in the grace of God and the spirit of God to do a work to change us, we set up a different standard, and then we see something working in us. In fact, Paul calls it, in the latter part of chapter 7, verse uh, 21 and 23, he calls it the law of sin and death. Paul found that there was something in him. When he would do good, evil was present. And all I'm here to tell you is that the law cannot deliver a man from the nature that he was born with in Adam. It has no power. And the only release, the only freedom from the word of God is death. 
death. Turn with me just briefly. Chapter six, go back, let's go back to chapter six. Now, stay there for a moment. In chapter seven, Paul asks a question and very often Paul asks questions as an introduction to what he wants to convey. Chapter seven, he said, do you not know brethren? And I speak to those under the law that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Once you choose the law, it will be your master. You will be judged based on that standard. But he asked in chapter 6, for example, in the beginning, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as have been baptized unto Christ Jesus were baptized unto his death? Therefore, we, are, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So here we are again, that the Spirit of God would have us know <laughs> that if we are looking to the Lord Jesus, if we accept God's declaration that when Christ was crucified, I was crucified with him. Now, this is a critical fact. And I say it is a fact. It is a divinely revealed fact that Paul alluded to. And you and I are now constrained to accept this fact that when Christ was nailed to that cross and there were two criminals to his left and his right, there was a fourth. <laughs> it was you. You and I have been crucified with Christ. Now, many of us live in such a way that you never know that. But the expectation of God is right here, as he says, <laughs> that we should walk in newness of life. If my life is not different, since I trusted in Christ, I need to reassess my faith. If my life does not produce fruit, if my tongue does not have on it the law of kindness, if I'm not awakened to the fact that the Spirit of God lives in me, have I been born again? Is there newness of life? Some of us, my brethren, have grown cold in our faith. It has become commonplace. And someone looking at us would never know that we have been born again. Gets better. Paul says this. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Now, Pay attention to those words. The conditional word is if. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, 
my dear saints, these words are addressed to faith. This is not something you can feel. It is a divine declaration of what God the Father has done at Calvary with respect to your connection with Adam. And at Calvary, he made an end of your connection and mine with Adam. Because he says in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam, all die. You might be a good man or a woman. You might not be saved. You might be trusting your works. You might assess that I'm all, I'm good. I'm not an evil person. But my dear friend, as you are, has nothing to do with anything. Without Christ, you are in Adam. The sentence of death is on you. Scripture says all sin and come short of the glory of God. At your best, you've missed the mark. You've missed the mark. So if you're trusting the law or some standard, you've already missed the mark. Because the law was designed to tell you you're a sinner. And it will condemn you as it did Paul. He goes on to say, our old man, verse 6, was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with. Now, these are interesting terms. A little Bible 101 here. <laughs> done away means put out of business. Rendered ineffective. Have you ever seen a store? I'll use one that most of the more mature folks here might know of. Woolworths. <laughs> Bingo. You're right with me. The younger ones are like, what's Woolworths? <laughs> A long story, like a five and ten store, but real large. <laughs> it was the Kmart of the day. Tells you I just dated myself. But anyway, I digress. Woolworths went out of business. And I lived in White Plains at the time. White Plains, New York. And I would pass Woolworths store. It says out of business. But the name was still on the outside. There were some... Some merchandise on the inside. There was nobody there. You saw the shell of, Wool of Woolworth. But it was rendered out of business. Its power and authority taken from it. And this is what Paul is alluding to when he says that the body of sin might be in the authorized version, annulled, put out of business, rendered ineffective. Its force has been taken from it. And that is what Christ has accomplished at Calvary. Now, here are the implications of that work that only God can do. And let me pause and expand just a little. In order for a man or a woman to know in their life experience that sin doesn't have to have dominion over you, it necessitates a power greater than you to break the power of sin's dominion in you. <laughs> that is what has to be done. And the law cannot do that. An arbitrary standard cannot do that. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. 
It takes the work of God, the grace of God, the spirit of God to come into a believer as they look away from themselves and they look to God to do in them what they know they cannot do. Then it becomes And so Paul is saying here that sin in our mortal bodies has been done to like woolworths. There is a consciousness of, that we have that sin dwells in me. But when I look away from myself and I look away from dependence on myself, and I look away from any arbitrary standard that I've established, albeit the law or any other standard. And I look to God to do in me what I cannot do. I find that his grace really is sufficient. I, I want to go back just a little. This is important because what I love about the scriptures, I, I got to tell you, when I became a Christian way back before dirt was created, like 1980 thereabouts, but... What I loved about the scriptures, I remember one brother said to me, or Christmas, he gave me this book of illustrations. I could, he's with the Lord now, so I can tell you what I really think. I was like, I don't need this. <laughs> Why? Because the Bible gives me all the illustrations that I need. Now, you may disagree. doesn't really matter. That's what I found. Well, here's one. Go to Romans 4. This is about Abraham. As you know, for the sake of time, Abraham was given a promise at about age 75. And as he was in Ur of the Chaldees, Jehovah spoke to him and says, go to a land that I will show you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing to all the nations, etc., etc." Abraham, not knowing where this was, packed up Sarah, all his belongings, all his servants, all his flocks, and so forth. And they headed southwest, give or take. And after perhaps many weeks or months, they arrived at the place. Here's the problem in Abraham's life for the next 25 years. He couldn't, they couldn't have a child. Couldn't. Now you say, well, brother, what does this have to do with me being crucified with Christ? Well, I mentioned before that the expectation of the Spirit of God <laughs> is that our lives produce Root. Evidence that there's been a change. Christian life is really very simple. It's not complicated. Drop the seed in the earth, you water it, little sunshine, warmth, etc. Something happens, germinates, boop, up comes a thing out of the dust. It's a tomato seed or whatever you plant. But it produces fruit. And fruit is evidence of inner life. If a Christian, if a person claims, I am a Christian, there's no fruit. Time to evaluate if I am in the faith. And I say that in all seriousness. An unbeliever said this to me just some days ago. They were talking about some other folks who profess to be Christians and are. And this is a pagan saying to me, as they sat in my car, <laughs> they called, quote, they called themselves Christians. And they did that and that and that to someone. 
What kind of faith is that? Why would I want to be a Christian? Well, I used to pride myself on always having a response. <laughs> Not that moment. I didn't know what to say. You know what I said? I hear you. <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> if they call themselves Christians <laughs> and there's not sufficient proof to prove to a pagan <laughs> that there's new life, maybe, just maybe, they might not really be in the faith. Or they have chosen to grieve the Spirit of God to the degree that they will live their life as they so well please, regardless of what they know about God. I will just say this before I go on. The Old Testament is riddled with examples of people and or families and or nations that thought they can live with impunity in spite of what they knew about God. I remember in, in Jeremiah's writings when Israel, the southern kingdom, was in rank <laughs> apostasy. Hundred years before, Nebuchadnezzar was planning. God had already ordained that Nebuchadnezzar was coming. Probably before this man was even born, <laughs> judgment was on its way. God is holy. Do not think for a moment that you or I can live with impunity, can resist the Spirit of God, can do as we please, and think there are no consequences. Oh, beloved, that is ignorance that has a price. And so now back to Abraham. Scripture tells us, go to chapter 4. Verse 13, for the sake of time. For the promise that he, should, that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Translation. If God, the Spirit, is going to do a work in my life, I need to step aside. <laughs> I've got to step aside. And make way for his presence, his filling, his controlling, and my duty, my call, your call, is as Paul said in chapter 6, present yourselves, present yourselves, present your, your members, your hands, your feet, your voice, your mind, your body, all that you have, as an instrument of righteousness. We are like soldiers who have signed up for duty and we stand at attention waiting for our orders. That is the idea that Paul is conveying to the church at Rome. Present yourselves as those who are alive from the dead, those who are alive to God in Christ Jesus, awaiting their orders to do what pleases him, living in such a way that fruit comes forth from our lives. And so now we come to Abraham. Verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. Translation. God made a promise to this man 
that his life would bless the whole world. <laughs> the world. But that promise was given to this man on one condition. That he would receive it by faith. He would receive what God has said as a matter of fact before he even saw the promise fulfilled. Now, gets better. Verse 15, for if the law brings about, for because of law, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, verse 16, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you father of many nations, in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and called those things which are not, which do not exist as though they did. Now, I love this. You asked you ask me this question. One believer once asked me this question, actually. They said to me, how can I live in such a way that I see fruit? How can I live in such a way that I'm convinced that I'm a Christian? Forget everybody else. I said, wonderful question. I said, let's go to Abraham. Here's what happened. God said, you're going to be the father of, of nations. He couldn't have a child. And God delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And the years passed. This man was 75, 76, 77, 78, 79. And with each passing year, the likelihood that his body would be able to physiologically respond in such a way. And I have to go down the biological path that he could produce sperm. <laughs> Wasn't going to happen. And when he got to the point where he was convinced it cannot happen in my body, I cannot produce seed, he looked at his dear darling Sarah, and Sarah was as good as dead. When he got to the place in his life and he said, I know I can't do this. It was at that point that he said exactly what Paul said. He believed God, verse 17, two things. Who gives life to the dead. God who gives life to the dead. For Abraham, there was only one thing. One thing that he was believing God for. I am dead. Sarah is dead. But God is a life-giving God. <laughs> He's a life-giving God. And this man, in the impossibility of the moment, turned away from looking to himself and looked away to the God who gives life to the dead. <laughs> and it was at that point... <laughs> that he arrived at the place where God would have him to be. And my friends, I'm here to tell you, now God can work in Abraham's life to do the impossible thing and to command the thing to come to pass, just as he promised. How does that apply to you and me? Very simply, oh my word. You and I can't produce fruit. You can't produce, listen to me. I, let me be transparent. It's hard when you're of darker complexion, but I'm going to try, okay? 
Growing up, I had a tongue that was overly responsive. I'm putting it mildly. And one day, well into my Christian life, I was in between jobs and it was taking a while to find employment. And during that time, I, I did some soul searching. You know what I realized? I said, Lord, my tongue has gotten me into so much trouble all through my Christian life. Just this once. Fix it. Fix it. That's all I said. Fix it. And I remember where I was when I prayed that. I said, do what you have to do. Fix it. You want to know how God fixed it? Oh, my word. He gave me employment, and he gave me one difficult employee. She was a thorn in my side. She would insult me during meetings. She was just ornery. She was not a believer. And every morning and every evening, you know what I had to do? Get on my face before God and ask only one thing. Teach me to shut my mouth. It took nine months, nine long, excruciating months. There's a moral to this story. One of my other employees said, why do you endure this? She's not a believer either. Why do you tolerate this? And I looked at her and I knew she would never understand. And I said, God is doing a work in my life and he has to do it and I can't interfere. She looked at me like I was talking Greek. But I'm here to tell you, I won't spare you, I'll spare you the details. But nine months later, when that employee was taken out of my office by the hand of God, this employee that I mentioned to you that said to me, why do you endure this? She came to me. You know what she said to me? I'll never forget. I, I created a CD of some ministry to give to her friend who is a Christian. And I said to her, give this to your friend. She asked for it. She said, what is it? And I said, some of some preaching. And I told her what the topic was. She said, can I have a copy? I said, you might not like it because she's not a believer. I said, this is, and I told her, pure hellfire and brimstone. She looked at me. She says, I want to hear. And I said, why? I was curious. I said, why? You know what she said? I saw what you went through for nine months and you never opened your mouth. She said, that's what I want. That's what I want. And I was dumbfounded because Peter said that they would look at your life and ask you concerning the hope that is in you. And I realized that it takes the spirit of God to change a man, to part seas, to make a donkey talk. It takes the work of God in a person's life to change them. But in order for me and you to get to that place where the spirit of God works in us, we must simply surrender it. Surrender our will. Surrender our purpose. Surrender all that is dear to us. And like the Lord Jesus, as he said in Gethsemane, not my will. Get out of the way. Ask God to let his will be done in your life. Cost it what it may. And I am here to tell you and to testify before you, if you or I come to God with a willing heart and a desire that he might work in us a change so that people, friends, family, believers, unbelievers might see that there's something different in me 
he will do that work. Why? Because when Abraham got to the place where he knew that Sarah's womb was dead, and he knew as much as he understood science, that his body did not have the wherewithal to impregnate a woman, much less a woman that was 99. It would take the mighty power of God and the grace of God. And there are only two things that this man believed about God. Just two things. Two things. Some of us have a whole Bible, 66 books. Abraham believed two things. God makes dead people live again. God, and I'm here to tell you about me and you, we're dead apart from the work of the Spirit of God. But God makes dead people live again. I want to live. What about you? I perhaps have 20 years left. But between then and dead, that fruit might come forth. And the second thing he believed about God, he commands, he calls those things that don't exist, being. That's what he did in creation. He said, light, be. <laughs> and light, he came. And I would often pray in my own devotional time, and we have to stop there. I said, Lord, command it in my life. Command it. When someone is challenging with me, grace me with a response that demonstrates Christ. I don't have that. I would often pray, I don't have that in me. But you have to produce it. You have to do it. Because I know I can't do it. And here's what I learned in closing. You say, how do I know that God will respond to my plea? It's so simple. Oh, my word. Do you remember when the disciples were in that boat during the storm? Lord Jesus was walking, coming on the water. I loved it. Because some of these pictures of actual events have embedded simple truths. Peter had enough presence of mind to see the Lord Jesus walking on water. And he would say, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come. Just tell me to come. And you know what Peter was waiting for? The word, the command. But here's the beauty of it. Once he heard the command, the instant this man lifted his leg over the boat's uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, rim or whatever. The instant he responded in obedience, the instant, I say the instant he responded in obedience, God, the Lord Jesus, was at work to make the water firm. <laughs> that water would not be firm until Peter moved. But once, by the grace of God, this man determined, I'm going to obey looking to you, it was at that moment, and that moment only, that the grace of God becomes operative. Here's the point I'm making for you and me. You and I will never know what the Spirit of God is able to do in our life until we get to the place where I said, I am going to obey. 
And the instant I step out in faith, it's the instant that God makes grace available. And that was what I found with my employee. The instant I said, I'll do whatever you command, but you gotta give me grace. And when she responded unkindly and embarrassed me, I didn't respond. But the non-response required the grace of God. <laughs> and I kept by his grace every day, a little and a little and a little, until nine months later, it was easy to obey. <laughs> Because I had learned to look away from me and look to him to do in me what I knew I cannot do. Oh, my dear saints, I regret that we have to stop. But I want to encourage you. I don't know where you are in your Christian life. But if you are dissatisfied, <laughs> now would be a good time as any. Ask God for the grace to truly live it out. May God help us so it for his glory. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious word. Reserve a blessing for us. We ask that you would meet us just where we are. Help us, strengthen us, grace us with the wherewithal to live looking to you for your glory and pleasure and the benefit of those around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.